Good morning. Good morning. You got a Bible? You can open it to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be there in just a moment. If you're a guest with us, my name is Rob. I'm honored to get to open the Bible with you this morning. We're going to study together and uh, see what the Lord might put on our mind and on our heart this morning. So we'll be in Ephesians 4. Before we jump into the sermon, though, there's some exciting things going on in the life of our church that we want to make you aware of. Uh, first uh, is the Connect card that's in the seat back in front of you. I know it can get tedious week in and week out filling that out, but it really helps us in a variety of ways. We love praying for you. Just yesterday, uh, 7 o'clock in the morning, our elders got together and we prayed for you. Uh, we spend time praying over all the prayer requests, making sure that we're um, shepherding and, and, and helping guide you and your family, pastoring your family, really, uh, through prayer. So take a moment, fill that out for us. That means a lot to us. Uh, next would be uh, what we have called Grace Marriage. And we're really excited for Grace Marriage because I believe that marriage is under attack. And we want to be a part of preventing issues before they even get started. And so Grace Marriage is for you if you're married uh, two months or 60 years. Uh, anybody and everybody who's married, consider signing up for Grace Marriage. It's going to be an intentional time. And here's the cool part. You're, when you sign up for Grace Marriage, you're committing to four days all year. Like, that's it. Like, just four days of coming here. Like, one, two, three, four, and you're done for the year. Uh, and so just be here for four days. Uh, find out about that out in the lobby or jump on the website. We've got some scholarships available. Just reach out to us. Let us know um, if you're interested in grace marriage. And in addition to that, uh, we've got classes that have started. And so if you're not a part of one, I want to encourage you because we believe around here maturity and growth is really important. One of the best ways that happens is for you to sit under the teaching of a qualified teacher. And we've got some great people teaching classes during that 9.30 hour. And so I would encourage you, come an extra hour early, uh, get plugged into a class, and dive deeper into God's Word with some people uh, right here at New Hope. And so there's some other things, but they're a part of the message, and I'm not going to give them away too early. Let's pray, and we'll jump in. Father, thank you uh, for your presence with us this morning. God, thanks for your Word, that we can study it together, be transformed by it. My prayer this morning, Father, is that you would put on our hearts and our minds what you want us to remember that we'd leave this place as brothers and sisters in Christ, transformed and changed, and live intentionally for Jesus because of what we hear this morning. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is a unique Sunday morning because it's what we call a standalone weekend. So we're going to be preaching a sermon, and if you're a guest with us, you get to sit in on uh, some family conversation. We're going to be casting some vision for New Hope for 2018 this morning, kind of setting the tone for the whole year, where we're headed as a church family. And so there's going to be uh, some challenge, too. We're going to issue some challenges to, if you call this place your church home. And if you're a guest, you get to listen in on that this morning. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, and I think you'll be challenged by it as well as we jump into Ephesians. Next week, we start a series called What We Believe, and we'll spend some time uh, studying some of the doctrinal truths here at New Hope uh, so that you can uh, have a better grip on them as well. So in, in the book of Ephesians, uh, what I love about this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church is, one, how much he loved them. You know, Paul spent more time in Ephesus that we know of than he spent in any other city. Two to three years loving and caring for these people, uh, developing this church and deepening this church and discipling these people. And then we read in Acts chapter 20, Paul leaves Ephesus, but his heart stays there. And so later on, he sits down and he pens this letter, and it's an incredible letter for a variety of reasons, the letter to the Ephesians, because he's in prison when he writes it. So he's not under ideal conditions. He's sitting in a prison cell writing this letter, and the letter is all joyful and thankful. It's got this theme of gratitude through it. It's one of the best 
uh, clear written accounts of the gospel message that we have. I mean, he just lays out the truth of the gospel, and then he lays out what life in the church should look like because of the gospel. And so when we get to chapter 4, he's going to really narrow in. The first 11 verses of chapter 4 are all about the formation of the church family, the church body. And then you get to verses 12 and on, and 11 through 16, right in there where we're going to study today. And it's, what are the personal gifts that you receive from the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit has given each of us gifts. And as those gifts play out, what's the purpose of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives you? What's the purpose of what God wants to uniquely do in your life? And so that's where we're going to pick up today. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 11. Here's what the Apostle Paul says to the church at Ephesus. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So he has this moment here in this letter where he stops and says, hey, there are certain gifts that God has given to people. Four times in Paul's writings, he lists out the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to you. And here's what I've learned about these lists. One, they're not exhaustive. What I mean by that is, they're not, he doesn't talk about every single gift there is. Okay? He, he lists out gifts. Two, the purpose of listing the gifts is not so that you know how you're going to become awesome. Okay? Like, man, this is great. I have the gift of whatever, and I'm going to be so cool. And all. No, every time Paul talks about the gifts the Holy Spirit gives you, it's for the, the service of other people and the glory of God. Like God is giving you gifts to benefit others and to bring glory to Him not to make you look better, like feel awesome, like you're something special. It's actually the opposite. The Spirit gives you the gift to serve other people and to bring glory to God. That's what we learn when we read through these lists. And each of us has been gifted with something. So last week, David finished out 2017, and he preached from Ephesians chapter 2. And I love the question that he asked us. I've been wrestling with it all week. As I was writing this sermon, that question was echoing in my mind. And the question he asked us is, what has God packed in your suitcase, if you will? How has he uniquely shaped and molded you for what he's called you to? Okay, you guys remember that? Say yes. It was one week ago. Okay, good. <laughs> it's a week ago. Give us some hope, all right? <laughs> like next week, you'll know what I said today, right? Uh, so he talked about the giftedness that we each have. Now, Paul here, he lays out some, some specific gifts really to bring your attention to the purpose of church leadership. So he says he's called some to be apostles. When he uses that word apostles, that's a word that indicates he is speaking of a very unique position that's no longer around today. See, the apostles, there were 12 of them, later a 13th, the apostle Paul was added to their number. But the word he's using here is, is referencing that position. So it doesn't, it's not around anymore. That's a unique, special gift people don't hold anymore today. And he continues on in that. Right, because they were around during the day. Right, Paul was still alive when he wrote the letter. So he says some are pastors. That word, when you when you translate out, some are called to be elders. That's the same word. Okay, the same word used for pastor is elder. And so the elders are a unique group called to lead and shepherd the local church. He says some are evangelists, and they go and preach and teach the gospel in a variety of contexts. That's what I'm doing right now. Right, that's the role of the evangelist. You have others uh, that are teachers, right? And, he, and James chapter 3, verse 1 is kind of scary because it teaches us in your New Testament that teachers are going to be held to a higher standard. And so teaching is a very important role in the church because you're teaching the Word of God to people, influencing them. And we'll see why that's important here in just a few moments because without maturity, uh, the teaching can really lead you astray if you're not paying 
very close attention. So we have all these different roles and these gifts, but his purpose in listing the gifts comes out in verse 12. He says, now when you have those gifts, you're called to lead and equip those that have other gifts. Okay, Because in verse 12, he says, the purpose of the church is to equip Christians to go do the ministry that God has called them to do. So here's what he's saying. Hey, when you're in church leadership, you're called to equip everybody else to use their gifts to go. What's a little bit weird sometimes about church is that we oftentimes come and we watch one person use their gift. Right, right now, you guys are all watching me use the gift God has given me to preach. I don't think this is exactly what he had in mind when he said, be a church. Just go watch one person week in, week out, sit in a seat, watch a stage. The one person uses their gift. The rest of you don't have to. That's not what he had in mind, and that's, this is why we know that. I've said it this way, and this isn't always a true statement, but it really gets my point across. When I started working at a church, I effectively left the ministry. Okay? You're like, wait, how does that work? Right? So when I started working at a church, I moved into the role of equipper equipping the church to do the ministry because that's what this verse is telling us to do. This verse says that the purpose of the church is to gather, to be equipped, to go live out the ministry that God has called you to live with the gifting that the Holy Spirit has given you that when, when you became a Christian, when you got baptized in the Christ, Acts 2.38, you get baptized in the Christ, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gifts you with certain abilities to live out the mission God has called you to live out. And so when you come to church, here's what it can't be. A church cannot be a social club. It's not just a time where you come and hang out, and it's okay to do that, but to stay there is to not mature. It's okay to come and to feel welcome. You're allowed to belong before you believe. You understand this. You can come and be a part of this before you actually believe it. But he says the whole point of maturity is that you continue to get equipped and move forward in your walk with Jesus. It can't just be a fun place where we put on a great production and wow you with theatrics. It just can't be church. Church has to be more than that, according to what Paul is telling the church in Ephesus. And you have to be intentional about developing the gifts of the Christians to go and live out what God has called them to do. And each time we get together, we should feel encouraged and challenged. Each time you come to church, you should sit, listen to somebody teach the scriptures, fellowship with one another. You should engage in some prayer at some point when you're gathering with brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not praying. What are we doing? And so we should spend some time praying, reading God's word. We take communion together. And when we walk out of this place on Sundays, we should, okay, I'm reminded and refreshed and I'm ready to go live intentionally for Jesus. That's what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 4. When the church gathers, he says, now when that happens, there's a unity that takes place. Verse 13, this is going to continue. You have to keep, he says, you're going to continue to be an equipping center until we all come to such a unity in our faith and our knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So he says, there's a standard we're pursuing. He says, you have to continually be equipped and like, learn more and grow in your faith until there's such a unity between us, right? A unity between us that we live up to the full measure that God has called us to live up to. And that unity is contagious. In other words, when people look at the church, they should see some, like a unity that makes no sense. Like it, it should not happen. When we pursue Jesus, we are united together in such a way that the world looks at us and says, hey, I don't know if I believe everything that that group of people believes. I'm not sure if I believe all of that, but there's something about the way they approach life that is just incredible. I mean, look at how they view their money and how generous they are with one another. Look at how they view family and they raise their kids and they support one another. Look at how they meet the needs of the people around them. Look at how they rally around people in trouble and, and people in need. There's something about the unity over there in the church that's incredible. And Paul says, this needs to be an equipping center until that's fully realized. But I'll tell you this, our unity will not be complete and total until we get to heaven. 
which means we must continue to equip one another and pursue unity together. Fascinating. We're doing this thing called the Read Scripture app. And so we, uh, we've got this app, and we ask everybody in the church to participate in it. And you can download it. You can go to our website and get it. And you just follow this reading plan. It's a lot of reading, but it's good. You're in God's Word. This past week, I, I've been reading it in my devotional time and then using my time with my kids at night for their devotions to kind of reflect on what I've read. Okay? And so we come across this story, the Tower of Babel. It's found in Genesis chapter 11. And, and here's the, the quick part of the story. Uh, there's a group of people that had unity, an incredible amount of unity. They spoke all the same languages. But their motivation was off. And so they said, let's build a tower that gets us all the way to heaven, and it'll make us famous. Right? And what I love about the story is as soon as they, they're like, yeah, they're building on this tower, and they're growing and growing and growing, it says, and then God came down to them. Right? Because they'll never actually get up there. And God came down and said, hey, this unity is incredible. Nothing will be impossible for them, but their motivation's wrong, so I've got to put an end to it. And he scatters them and messes up their languages, and, and then there's not that unity because their motivation was on. And the question I asked myself is this, when I read this passage, and then I'm reading that during the week, was this. What would happen if a group of people were so united, but their motivation was the glory of God, and God would come down and say, look at this unity. Nothing's impossible for them. Let's see what happens. And there'd be no need to stop the work, because the motivation would be the glory of God. That's what Paul's saying here. Equip one another, pour into one another, until you come to such a time that there's this incredible, contagious unity he says, if this is going to happen, it's going to require each of us taking seriously the call to be mature. Verse 14, then we will no longer be immature like children. So if we're serious about pursuing Jesus and uniting with one another, we're not going to be immature little kids anymore. We won't be tossed and blown about by every kind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they actually sound like the truth. So he says, look, teaching's important. Pay attention to what people are teaching. Instead, Because of our unity, we're going to speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. So we're going to more and more and more like our leader, Jesus, who is the head of the church. Then he says this, and when that happens, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. I love that. We each have a role. We each have a a, a position to fill. And Jesus brings it all together when we're pursuing him. As each part does its own special work, It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And so I love this passage here because it tells us that you're called to mature not in your knowledge of some celebrity pastor, not in your knowledge of some podcast or some author's books that you continually read. Those aren't bad things, right? But your call to mature is for you to spend time with Jesus, for you to open God's word as a follower of Jesus and for you to read his word, and for his word to read you, and for you to get honest about the things that you're struggling with, and for you to confess that sin and spend time in deep prayer, and to develop these disciplines, and to grow, and to mature. And what Paul says here is, look, if you're not maturing, you can only fake it for so long. Eventually, someone's going to get the best of you because you're not prepared. Someone's going to trick you, and somebody's going to manipulate you, and some teaching that's not true at all, but you don't have what it takes to filter the truth because you've been depending on other people for so long and not maturing in your own walk. See why we need to be an equipping place and not an entertaining place? Because you are going to find a day when you're going to need to have been equipped to walk closely with God. Here's the other thing I learned about maturity from this passage we just read was this, is that everyone starts somewhere. I don't know about you, but I became a Christian when I was 18 years old, and I felt like I was 18 years behind. I just felt like I didn't know anything. All these people know more than me. All these people are further along in their walk than me. 
I'm 18 years old, and I'm just like, I don't know if I can keep up. I know that that's how it can feel sometimes when you come to church and you are around someone who is very deep and spiritual, who is very knowledgeable, who is very smart. Sometimes we can feel like we're just never going to be able to measure up. And so what that does oftentimes is makes us not even want to try. But what we learn here is that you're called to be mature at your pace and your rhythm. See, you have to grow at your rhythm and your pace, not the pace and rhythm of everybody around you. But everybody around you should be encouraging you to grow and mature at your pace and your rhythm. Let me illustrate for you this way. This is my son, Noah. Okay, that's, uh, I just wanted to show you this version because this is him when he was first born. And when he first came out, we said, here's Kentucky. And that got him super upset. And so we thought, good, we got a good one. And I said, here's the North Carolina Tar Heels. And he just peacefully fell asleep. It was good. So uh, I, here's a better picture, right? So that's him newborn. Here's him a little more recently. He's about to turn 11 months old, okay? And I, I love being a dad. If you spend any time here and listen to my preaching, you're going to know that, okay? I, I love it. I, it's the joy of my life. And so raising Noah and raising his siblings, I've learned that each of them have their own personalities and they're all different. They're all going to mature and grow at their rhythm and their pace. And so in a couple of weeks and months, Noah's going to begin to gain the courage and the desire to start walking. And he's going to want to start. Now, he has a few things going against him. One, he's got his dad's genetics, which means he's got a big old head and he's top heavy. And so when he starts to try to walk, you know, you're just trying to hold up this big old head and they tend to stumble every once in a while, Okay. And that's what happens with Noah. That's going to happen with Noah. But as Noah begins to take steps, and he takes that first step and he falls down, what I'm not going to do is come up to him and say, buddy, good try, but Caleb's 10. You see what he's doing? Get up and walk. Like, I'm never going to do that. Like, are you kidding me? You're a Jankowski. We walk. I'm going to fall. Get up. Like, I'm never going to do that to him. Right? He'll take half a step and we're going to throw a party. Like, yes, here he goes. And he'll take another step and we'll get more excited. And it's going to be this incredible moment of joy for us right? Because he's maturing. Now, if he's 15 and still trying to army call around the house, there's a problem. You're going to look at me and say, you're, what, what happened with parenting, Rob? Right? You're not a good parent at that point. Why? Because it's okay for him to be there now, but it's not okay for him to stay there. See, that's what maturity is. It's okay for you to start wherever you're at, but God doesn't want you to stay there. And so he gives you this beautiful thing called the church. And the church comes alongside you and says, hey, let's take steps together. Let's mature together. Let's grow together. See, and what I don't know about you, but what I'm learning from verse 16 is that I want to see verse 16 happen. When we mature and we grow, I want to see Jesus bring everything together. But what we've done is we've highlighted certain gifts and made other gifts that the Spirit gives us not so enjoyable. So I think we over-elevate the gift of preaching. I think it's made to be this incredible gift and nothing else compares to it. And nothing's further from the truth. It's an important gift. But it's not the most important gift in the scriptures. Preaching is a gift. And what I, when I see verse 16 here, Jesus bringing it all together, he says, and every single person has a role to play if this body's going to be healthy. Every single person has a gift that God's given them and they're called to serve in a capacity for him to bring him glory. And what happens is we don't commit, and we're not part of that body, so that body doesn't get healthy. And we, what we do is we look around and we say, well, this church has good music, and that church has good preaching, and I like that church for that reason and that reason, and so we, we're not committing and getting into the body. And it's okay to spend time at other places, but you still have to have that place that you're all in and you're committed to. Here's what I've learned about maturity. You can't compartmentalize Christianity. Jesus is Lord of all. When he's Lord of all, that means what he's teaching us here in Ephesians 4 is important, meaning we have to take a step to commit to be a part of a church body. 
We have to commit to being a part of the church family and take it very seriously. And what I read here is I want to take it seriously. On the last night of his life in John 17, Jesus prayed. He said, Lord, what I'm about to do for them, let it create unity. Please let them be united to one another because of what I'm about to do. And I read that and I think we should probably take the unity thing pretty seriously. We should probably be really serious about the unity so the world would look at us and say, that those different political beliefs and those are different socioeconomic backgrounds and those are different races and those are different uh, ethnicities and yet somehow people that should never get along because of their differences, because of this Jesus, they all have this unity. They're all united in their mission to be more and more like him. And I think we should take it seriously because I don't know if you've felt it, but I feel like time is going pretty quick. I look at my newborn, and then I look at my 11-month-old, and I say, where did the 11 months go? And then I think, man, look at his oldest brother. He's about to be 10. I'm about to have a 10-year-old son. Like, I, my mind is blown. Some of you are like, I got a 40-year-old. Get over it. I get it. <laughs> I get it. But for me, 10 years old, like, I can't believe I have a 10-year-old son. That's unbelievable to me, and the time is going by so fast. And I think, think about it this way, in 80 years... Everything we're working toward as a church, everything we're working for, everything we're giving to, everything we're striving for, we have to hand off. And in about 80 years, this will not belong to any of us. It's going to belong to somebody. Look, 80 years from now, David won't be around. 80 years from now, our elders will all be gone. 80 years from now, my wife will be gone. 80 years from now, I'll be 114. (laughs) Kidding. But you know, time is flying by, right? Time's going by really fast. Before we know it, it's gone. And Jesus is saying, take it seriously. I've called you to something bigger than you. Take it seriously. I love the way Paul, one chapter over in Ephesians 5, this is how he said, he said, redeem the time because the days are evil. Take advantage of every single moment. John Orberg says it this way. He says, abide in the work of the Lord and abide in the presence of the Lord. Just never stop working for Jesus. Never stop going after Jesus and and then abide in what he's doing in your personal life as you work together with other believers to achieve his mission. And so here's the question. I study this passage and then the question, what does that look like for New Hope going into 2018? About two years ago, we took a really big step and we cast some new vision as a church and we said, hey, there's a lot of things churches can do, but for us, we're going to focus in on being disciples who make disciples. And we brought a lot of attention to discipleship over the last two years and God has really blessed this place as we've honed in on what we feel like he's calling us to. And after praying about it and discussing it, our elders, and we want to bring even more attention to discipleship. We want to zero in just a little bit more, and we want to take, there's a lot of different things churches can do. There's a lot of ways you can gauge success and how well you're doing as a church family and pursuing Jesus, but we want to focus on three things going into 2018, just three things. And here's the encouragement. We want every single person at New Hope to take one more step in one of these three areas. And I think if we were to all move forward in these three areas, it would transform our church community and really the world. It'd be unbelievable if we got 100% participation in these three areas. And so what does it mean to be a disciple who makes disciples? Well, here's three areas of discipleship that really do indicate how well and engaged you are with the mission. The first is this. It's serving. Serving. We want each and every person to take one more step when it comes to serving. Let me tell you what serving is not. Serving is not you fulfilling some divine mandate to keep an angry God off your back. If I'll do this, he won't be mad at me. So I'm just going to serve because then he won't be upset with me. Okay, serving is not humanitarian aid. 
There's a lot of organizations that do a lot of humanitarian aid. It may involve humanitarian aid, but the purpose of serving is not just to meet physical needs. The purpose of serving is about God's people working for God's glory. The goal of serving is always to communicate the gospel message to a hurting world. Always. We always get to the good news of Jesus when we serve. That's the purpose. That's the goal. That's the deeper felt need. And here's the thing we learned from this passage in Ephesians 4. As we want to serve together as a church, every single one of us is called to serve. Every one of us. And no role is more important than the other. Why? Because it says if we, if we unite with all of our gifts, we become more a, a healthy body under the headship of Jesus. So we want to have a healthy body, a healthy representation of the church, then every one of us serves and every single gift matters. So let me illustrate it for you with this cup. Okay, the, the purpose of the cup is to hold what? Coffee, right? And so you get a good hot drink of coffee on a negative 15. I can't believe it's still that cold around here day. Okay? And you have a nice warm cup of coffee. And the purpose of the cup is to hold the coffee. It's kind of like when you serve in the church, the role of the cup would kind of be the role of the person who's out front. The people that are in leadership. The people who have to be out in the front doing things and so their notoriety comes. And so you just look at the cup, you're like, that's awesome. And so many of us, we've been trained to think that our giftedness means that we wait around until we get to be the cup. So I'm going to wait around until I get a little more opportunity, a little more you know, uh, opportunity to have influence with people, and then I'll be my cup. I'll be my version of the cup. But I think when I study the Bible, God not only calls us to different positions than the cup, he actually celebrates those other positions even more than he does the position of the cup. Here's what I mean. Some of us are called to be the sleeve. Like, Rob, that's just recycled paper. Like Some of us, though, God has placed the call in your life. He says, hey, I want you to come around and support the cup. I want you to serve in a position you might not get as much notoriety, you might not be seen as much, but I'm calling you and gifting you to do something that actually helps the cup. But without the sleeve, the cup's too hot and the experience goes bad. And so I need you to come in and serve in such a way that really makes what the cup is doing even possible. And so you might be behind the scenes a little bit. You might have to help in ways that don't get seen as much, but it's just as important. In fact, Jesus celebrates it so much. But I don't even think that's the best place to serve, honestly. I think some of us, we're called to be the napkin. You're like, well, that's really not enjoyable. Because a napkin just goes around cleaning up other people's messes. But if I remember right, Jesus said something about the last shall be first. And he who does the small work is going to have the bigger impact in the kingdom. He who is, humbles himself and, and does work that might be difficult and hard and behind the scenes, and you might not get seen, you might not get noticed, but the impact that you're making makes everything else possible and adds to the health of the body. You see, I don't know where God has gifted you, but I do know this, that every position matters. Paul says it this way when he writes to the church at Corinth. My dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Don't let anyone tell you that what you're doing is not important. Why? He says, always work enthusiastically for the Lord. Find joy in what you're doing no matter where you're serving because you know this, nothing that you do for the Lord is ever useless. Nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. And so we want to help you take your next step in serving. On the front page of our website, we have a spiritual gifts assessment. You go on, and it's 108 questions. You're like, oh, yeah, 108 questions. And you take this test, and it tells you where your spiritual giftedness might be leaning. It's not perfect, and I get that. But I did take it twice and try to prove it wrong, and I got the same results both times, okay? So it's, it's at least effective. Our elders have vetted this, and we, we, it it's, uh, kind of lines up with our doctrine. And so you take this test, and it'll tell you your, your giftedness, and it'll tell you your top three gifts. 
And then we've got a team of people that have put together these cards. And so you'll come here to New Hope right over in the lobby to the spiritual, to the ministry fair, and you'll see your giftedness. You'll take your top giftedness, and you'll grab this card. And on the front, it'll tell you all about your giftedness. And on the back, it'll give you specific ways you can get involved in serving right here at New Hope. How could your gift, which is where you might find a lot of fulfillment, be best utilized here in the church body to help make us even healthier? Okay, mine is, my top gift was administration. I took it twice because I didn't like that at first. I uh, came back both times. So then I thought, well, I'll have my son who's 10. He was baptized a, a couple years ago. He's got the Holy Spirit. He's Christian. Let's walk him through it. And so we walk him through the spiritual gifts assessment. Guess what his top gift was? Administration. I'm like, all right, we'll just have to own it, right? Administration on the back, it would say, Rob, how do you get involved at New Hope? Well, you could be a discipleship group leader. Okay, that's good. You could be a production assistant, so help in here with what takes place in here. You could be an elementary vocalist or dancer. Now, for you, that might work, but you don't, your kids don't want me dancing and singing anywhere near them, all right? Or you could lead at VBS or in a variety of capacities with this giftedness. The question is, where has the Lord gifted you? The next question is, where has he called you to fulfill serving in that capacity? In addition to serving, we want everyone to take their next step in giving, not as fun to talk about, right? We want everyone to serve and everybody to get involved in giving. Because look, here's what I've learned about giving and generosity. Giving is a direct reflection of the depth of your discipleship. It reflects how deep and how closely you're walking with Jesus. Let me tell you what giving is not, though. Giving is not us begging you to help us fund some special ministry that we get to do and you don't. It's not. It's not so the staff and the leadership get to do something. That's not ministry. Giving is not us guilting you into giving more money to the church. It's just not. That's not what we're doing. What I've learned is that giving is more about, it's not so much about what God wants from you, it's what he wants for you. Right? Because he wants you to mature and to grow and experience the life of generosity. And I don't know about you, but generosity has changed the very course of my life. According to this passage, what giving is, it's a, it's a, it's a form of unity. It's a group of people that are so in love with Jesus, that they're saying the mission he's called us to will be as generous as it takes to fund it. No matter what it takes, we're going to be giving. And we're going to give our normal tithes that the Bible teaches is a good starting place. We're going to give 10% of our income because it's better to live. We would believe, I believe this with my heart, though it's very difficult at times, I would rather live with God and on 90% than without him on 100%. And so I'm generous, and you give. It's what you're called to do, and God meets you in that place. Giving is about connecting to the heart of God. It's about connecting to his heart. One of the ways you can learn what is important to God is when you read your Bible, what stands out, what's repeated over and over again. What words get repeated? Because that's an indication of what he cares about. One of the words that's repeated over and over again is the word belief or faith. 272 times in your Bible, the word faith appears. The word pray, which is really important for the disciple, for the follower of Jesus, you have to be someone who prays. Prayer is mentioned 371 times in your Bible. Love, right? We always talk about it. We, we have to love and be loving and be willing to receive love from others. 741 times love is mentioned in your Bible. What about fear not? This is one I mention to my kids all the time. Be courageous. The Bible says fear not. Don't fear. That's used 365 times in your Bible. It says fear not. Assuring us that God is with us. The word give appears 2,162 times in your Bible. Giving matters to God. The most famous expression of this word give is found in John 3.16 where it says, God so loved the world that he 
gave his only son. And in response to that generosity, Paul calls us to be people who are generous. He calls us to mature and to grow, to take that next step in generosity, to contribute, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves through our finances because your financial giving is a reflection of the depth of your discipleship. Paul says that as you mature, you will learn to experience a joy that you don't experience without giving. He says when he writes to the church at Corinth, he says that God loves a what? A cheerful giver. That word cheerful in Greek is hilaria, and it is where we get our word hilarious. We should like giving so much it makes us crack up. Like we just love it. I laugh at how awesome it is to give. It's, it's a source of great joy because we know that giving is not what he wants from us. It's what he wants for us. He wants you to experience a fullness in life. And so let me tell you that this is a generous church. And let me start by saying thank you for your generosity, your sacrificial giving that has changed the course of so many lives, mine included. My family has felt your generosity, and I mean that, like just genuinely. You guys are so generous. And about 18 months ago, we as a church family decided together, all of us, that we were going to go after generosity at an even higher rate. And we went after what we call the REACH initiative. The goal of the REACH initiative was to enhance our campus and allow us to start some initiatives in our community. And we decided as a church family we were going to go after this, and what it included was taking our annual budget of $1 million over two years, so that's $2 million, and adding an additional $2.2 to $2.4 million on top of that, totaling $4.2 to $4.4 million over two years. And we said we're going to go after it. And we did. And after 18 months, we're on course to hit that two-year mark and have already eliminated three of the $4.2 to $4.4 million. And friends, you can hear that. It's like, oh, but we had a goal, and we didn't reach it in two years. Or you can say, look at what a group of people did in raising over $3 million to chase after what Jesus has called them to go after. But I also know this. I believe with all my heart, generosity has changed my family. This has been a hard thing for us to contribute to. It's stretched us at times. And yet it's blessed us in ways. My wife and I, we'd say our marriage has been blessed with giving to this initiative more than it was before that. Because it's just changed us. Being generous changes your heart and transforms you. And we want to give everybody an opportunity to be a part of it. We're extending the REACH initiative. Because New Hope, in the past, we've carried debt. We have, and we've wanted to pay off a mortgage. And we've, since I've been here, we had debt until right before the REACH initiative. We've always tried to pay it off really quickly, but the goal with the REACH initiative was to say, hey, we're going to take on this uh, commitment and we want to pay this off as quickly as possible so that we're positioned for what God wants next. And so that's that's all we want to do. We want to be ready for what God calls us to next. And so many of you, when we started the REACH initiative, maybe you weren't ready to be a part of it. Or many of you weren't even here when we started it. You've been coming to New Hope ever since the enhancements were made and, it, and you got to come in and learn and be a part of this. And, and so now you want to call this place your church home and you're ready for that. And so we want to invite you to be a part of the REACH initiative. So we're extending it through the end of 2018 to see where we're at at the end of the year. And I want to ask you to consider prayerfully being a part of it. So we've got these cards you got when you came in. It says REACH. And all the card says is that, hey, our family... In addition to our regular giving, so our regular giving is here. We give this amount regularly. In addition to that, we're going to commit to giving this much to the REACH initiative because we believe in getting rid of this amount so that we can be positioned for what God has next. And you put that amount right there on the card. You say, in addition to our regular giving, we're going to give this much in 2018. And then you just indicate, is that a weekly amount? Is that a monthly amount or an annual amount? And you can put your name on it or you don't have to. That's up to you. 
Here's the thing. I'm never going to know what you give. I don't want to know what you give. But I have learned this, that giving is a direct reflection of the depth of your discipleship. It's, it matters to God. And so it's not about how much you give. It's about you taking your next step in giving. So as you mature toward the unity that Jesus has called us to. There'll be elders at the Welcome Center right after this service. You can turn the reach card in right to them. Or you can ask them questions. You can bring it back another time. Uh, wherever you and your family are at, I want to encourage you to give. I want to encourage you to make generosity a part of your life and watch what God does through it. Now, the last part, so we wanted serving and giving. The last part of discipleship we want to really focus in on is what I'm most excited about, and it's groups. It's groups. Every single person. We have a, a prayer and a goal to see as many of our people engaged in being a part of a group as possible. Let me tell you what groups are not real quick. Groups are not a social time, though they include a social time. Groups are not Bible studies, though they include the Bible. Groups are not social justice gatherings where we just talk about what we want to go and do, though it includes that. That's not the heartbeat of what groups are. Groups are an intentional gathering of God's people to spur one another on to mature in their relationship with God and the mission he's called and placed on their lives. Groups is the most effective way for you to live out the mission that God's called you to. It's to get into a smaller group of people and to get united with them and to live out the mission God's called you to. I'm convinced of this. The most effective way to reach an unreached city which Indianapolis is very unreached. The most effective way for us to reach the city of Indianapolis is not to build buildings. It's not. That's an ineffective way, but the most effective way is for every Christian to live intentionally on mission. Look, if every Christian in our churches took seriously the call that God has on their life to make disciples, there would not be enough seats and enough buildings to contain the people. The most effective way is to become an equipping center for you to take the ministry and go. And the most effective way for you to go is to go with other people in discipleship groups. And so we've narrowed in our focus on groups to three things that we want to see for every one of our people. We want to see all groups connect, commit, and multiply. Here's what that means. In 2018, maybe your next step is simply to connect to a group. We have a group of people ready to receive your information and get you connected to a group. You go, you spend time with them, you're just connecting. There's not a commitment yet. You're just seeing, is this the right group for me and my family? When you have connected for a while, you then make a decision to commit to that group. This is the people that I want to live on mission with, I want to do life with. This is my people. And now you're committed to that group, and we want to see as many of our groups possible multiply into more groups to reach more people for the glory of God. So we want to connect, commit, and multiply. Because we believe the fastest way to reach an unreached city is Christians living on mission with one another. And I believe if our church family were to take seriously the call to mature in these three areas, we would transform this church and community. I believe it with all my heart. And so going into 2018, my question for you is this. Look, God is going to do some cool stuff in 2018 at New Hope because that's who God is. And he's invited us to be a part of it. And my question for you and your family is this. Will you take seriously that invitation to be a part of what God's doing in creating unity and health in the church body moving forward? Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you've done in this place, all that you're doing in this place. Thank you for the life that you've called each of us to live. God, we're humbled. We are humbled by the love that you've shown us in Jesus. I, I cannot believe how incredible it has been to follow him and how incredible it is to be a part of a church that loves him so well. This place has changed my life, God. I love this church. And I'm so grateful for each and every person here. 
God, my prayer is that we would experience that same love every time we gather. That, yeah, there's going to be issues like there is with any family, but we would pursue unity together. Father, thank you for Jesus uniting each and every one of us. As we move forward into 2018, God, our prayer is that we would take our next step in maturity to get closer to the unity that you've called us to. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.